Hello everybody, this is Brian Janikowski, Thursday, May the 3rd, the day before the new non-farm payroll numbers. I'm Christian Thwaites. I'm Emily Taken-Burtz, and let's get started with this week's market chat. So Christian, a couple of weeks ago, we posted um, a graph in the blog from the Congressional Budget Office that um, that seemed to, that, uh, that forecasted uh, the budget deficit that we'd run into the future. Now recently we got uh, another graph around the exact same thing from the Treasury. Now, these look like very, I mean, these are, these are utterly dissimilar looking, um, but I'm wondering if you could um, just talk a little bit about that and also whether or not, um, you know, the market, uh, I mean, how does the market see things in terms yeah. of, of these stark differences? Yes, well, uh, you're right, the, the, the CBO is Bipartisan uh, has is considered to be fairly objective and really takes as inputs budget numbers given by the, the administration and Congress and overlays that with where, where they think the economy is going. Uh, the Treasury basically takes the uh, administration line on what the tax cuts in this case are likely to do and what kind of growth they're likely to uh, spit off. So. <laughs> As we showed in this week's blog, the graphs look like they're sort of two different countries at two different times. Um, they both agree with the starting point that we're about three and a half percent of the budget deficit um, as percent of GDP, and with the CBO one, that steadily increases to five percent over over the next uh, nine ten years, and with the Treasury, that slowly decreases to almost zero over the eight or nine digits. Look, I think. Uh, I think most uh, public economists would view the CBO as being closer to what it's likely to be. I mean, these are still 10-year projections, so there's a lot of uh, latitude in what can happen. But it does seem highly unlikely that the economy will grow in a straight line, you know, without any correction or any recession for as long as this period, or that interest rates stay that low for long periods. So I think what we had this week was some rather surprise borrowing numbers from the Treasury. Actually, the second quarter borrowing is going to be lower than they projected just a few months ago, and that shows some acceleration of tax receipts. But it does show that the uh, the, uh, the the numbers and projections are quite difficult to make. But I, I think generally we're we're looking at a period where uh, certainly for the second quarter, the Treasury's not going to be borrowing as much, but they're likely to start making it up in the third and fourth quarter. And so uh, the market is. Uh is towing the uh, the CBO line a little bit more. I, I think so. Uh, uh, well, this year we saw a rally in This week, rather, we saw a rally in bonds. So, you know, a week ago we were talking about 304, 3% and 4 basis points on the 10-year, and then this week we're at 292. Now, I think some of that's just pure seasonality, and it, it can be counterintuitive, but the Treasury market is seasonal. Hmm. Um, inflation tends to come earlier in the year rather later in the year, so the year-on-year -year numbers can be more disappointing in the first quarter than later on. There's a lot of uh, tax receipts that happen in the second quarter, so the Treasury uh, volume goes down a little bit. Um, there's the Japanese fiscal year, which is March 31st, so a lot of companies repatriate their earnings back to Japan, which puts downward pressure on bond prices. Uh, so there's a lot of these funny little things which we which we kind of know about, and it kind of it, it leads us to to think that the second quarter is going to be more of these treasuries sort of trading in the, you know, two eighty to two ninety five, uh, not not just spilling over into the above three percent range, unless there's a supplies on the inflation, which there doesn't seem to be at the moment. 
I want to turn now to earnings. Um, this week we had two companies that generally get a lot of attention. We had Snap and Tesla. And uh, both of them, I would say, had notable um, earnings releases. Can you just explain uh, what happened uh, with these two companies and how the market reacted? Yeah, it, they're kind of interesting because they're obviously both uh, tech companies. They were, certainly one would describe itself as the other, and the other one, uh, Tesla, is, is sort of a combination of uh, old industry and, and new tech. They're both on sky-high multiples. I mean, they don't make money. Um, in, their, in any sense, um, and they're and they're really what's interesting, and I think is is sort of a little bit symptomatic of late cycle market behavior is that it's very difficult to have an objective equation, objective uh, discussion with the bulls of Tesla and Snap and the bears. There's no middle ground. You're either a believer or you're not. And, and I get worried with that because, you know, that means that you're taking an awful lot on faith that Elon Musk will pull another rabbit out of the hat, that they will be able to produce a thousand more units of the Model 3 they've been talking about, that they won't have to come back to equity shareholders, even mm. though they've said they, uh, you know, they said they won't, but they've tapped the bond market a couple of times. And then Snap is, uh, you know, is down 20% and it's sort of caught in this difficult space of it's not obviously anything like as big as Facebook or Google um, and then obviously WhatsApp and Instagram are tied up in the Facebook conglomerate <laughs> uh, and so there the concern is are they going to be left with their mostly young you know younger millennial not necessarily high spending um, demographic so uh, that market was that that was off a lot the Tesla was was off they disappointed I think but then there was this extraordinary exchange that Elon Musk had with some of the analysts where he basically told them that their questions were irrelevant. And, and this type of thing is is sort of a little bit nerve-wracking for me because it, it almost says you have to believe and yeah. don't question, don't look inside too too much. So uh, look, you know, neither of these stocks is particularly important to the economy. Snap could disappear tomorrow and there'd be less than a thousand people out of a job. So uh, they're not big movers, but they're quite big in terms of stock market sentiment. And uh, and as I said, sort of, you know, Tesla is certainly one of those along with Netflix and Amazon, which are on these huge multiples and they expect they're going to deliver something big. So yeah, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting earnings season. And these were, I think, just characteristic of a little bit too much froth in the market and you know we've been really calling for a sideways uh, movement in the market and events like these don't sort of uh, change our opinion. What do you see as the specific difference between a company like Snap um, and uh, you know a Google? Is it really just the monetization and the ability uh, to, to earn revenue um, despite the investment or what, what, is, the what is the difference? I, I think it's that uh, for sure. I mean, uh, advertisers have to be wary of, uh, of of putting a lot of money into something like Snap. And also, I think, uh, you know, hey, look, regulators have, have already talked about this, that, you know, Google and Facebook are, you know, effective monopolies. There isn't really an alternative to search and there really isn't an alternative to a broad social network in the sense that Facebook is. So they can commandeer extraordinarily high advertising prices, whereas I think uh, Snap is sort of a, yes, it's a social network, but but uh, it, it doesn't have the, 
staying power and, uh, and sort of eyeball time that the other two have. So I think that this that there is a big difference between something like that and and the two, yeah, the the two big uh, uh, it's a tech behemoths really in the form of Facebook and, and Google, which by the way are together capitalized at, I mean, I think Google is um, capitalized at six, seven hundred billion, Facebook four, five hundred, so you're talking about over a trillion dollars worth of market cap. These are these are big guys. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's also an interesting dynamic, I know, with Snap because they um, had a considerable backlash against changes um, in their app for, from their users uh, back in February, earlier this year. Now they've tried to correct that, which has then now touched off uh, the ire of advertisers. Yeah. Um, and so, do you see, you know, some uh, something like that or a dynamic like that potentially affecting um, a company like Facebook down the line? No, I think Snap is its own story. I think uh, you know you, you've got a, you know, it, it, it's its own product, its own platform, um, and. So, so their problems are really their own sort of self-generation. Mm -hmm. I, I just think that they haven't got a compelling enough reason for people to stay there and for advertisers to go there. Now, you know, a few years ago, they could have been brought up, bought up by Facebook. But I think a lot of these uh, tech companies now are a bit wary of drawing attention to themselves by buying, you know, other companies. So I think Snap's going to be, mm -hmm. uh, you know, out on its own for a while. And, um, you know, my bet is that in five years, we won't even remember who they are. <laughs> All right, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> um, the Fed also met this week. Anything we should be aware of around here? No, I, I think the Fed has been nothing to mark down and say a big change. This Fed has been actually, I think, very good. And it started with Bernanke and it continued under Yellen and Powell looks like he's doing the same thing. Just communicating very, very clearly what it's going to do. You know, I, I looked back and actually will post on the site a history of, uh, you know, Fed changes over the years. And, and you know, certainly prior to the 90s, at least, they tended to move rather abruptly and without a lot of insight. This Fed is very transparent. And I think that they've, they've changed their language a little bit. They still think there's a little bit of inflation in there. They still think that, you know, the, 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 the labor market is pretty full. Um, and we expect another... Uh, two, possibly three hikes this year, and I think that that's what they're going to stick to. And they never, they never hike in a meeting where there's not a press conference. And mm -hmm. so they, out of the ooh, ten meetings they have a year, I think four, five, maybe have press conferences. And you know when they are. The next one's in June, so that's that's when we kind of expect them to do something. And uh, you expect them if they were to to not raise rates or continue to raise rates to um, communicate that well ahead of time. Yeah, I think the June ones are dead certain, dead okay. certainty. I mean, something would have to really go badly in the next, uh, you know, six weeks, a big stock market correction, which could be triggered by trade. It could be triggered by, uh, you know, some sort of fault in the market, like an ETF blowing up or something like it did in February. But uh, uh, I think that one's pretty much in the bag. I don't think the job numbers tomorrow is going to convince them to go one way or the other. So it's really just a question of whether the market, you know, whether the economy, inflation, job numbers, capacity, uh, you know, change at all over the next few months as to whether or not they're, you know, you know when they'll really go ahead with the, with the third one for the year. I know that when Powell was coming in, there was uh, perhaps some fear that he would be a, a little bit more aggressive um, than, than Yellen in terms of raising rates. Has that uh, 
kind of disappeared that, no. that fear yeah yes it has it has disappeared he hasn't sort of shown any more hawkish characteristics we we've still got this strange uh you know gap in the in the fed we're still waiting for a couple of um nominees to be appointed so the so the five fed governors which make up the uh, FOMC and then the regionals who rotate and the New York Fed, which is always there, you know, has, has gone a little bit more hawkish. Um, and the nominees for the open positions are, are pretty well-known quantities. So we don't think we're going to sort of see more aggressive uh, language coming from the Fed. Well, thank you very much, Christian. Thanks to you for listening. Please join us next week. Thanks, everybody. And uh, here's the disclosure. Wait for it. Please note the discussion of our investments and investment strategy, including our research investment process represents our investments investment strategy the day of this commentary. Subject to change without notice. We cannot assure that the type of investments discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments will present the best or an attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future. So for general information purposes only, references to individual securities should be not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The securities mentioned in this commentary are only several successful and unsuccessful investments by us. Do not represent all of the securities we have purchased, sold, or recommended. Although we deem reliable the source of statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements, numerical data, past performance. There's no indication of future results.